0: The Bucs got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers. They're dancing, boys. Oscar Perea lays it up. One point four. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucs win. Ball Pelican's game. spotting for three. The place is gonna erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's gonna make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, a game winner. Got it. Ball game. On they got team, him. He... If he
1: catches it, it's over. Ball game! Touchdown to one Stinson. 25 yards! JJ German for the win! He got it! JJ German and the Bucks! Have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick! Sell off to my learned friend! What's your name, man? I told you it him. doesn't matter what your name is! You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. You still have no talent. It's Sandos in the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
0: Good Monday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos in the Sidekick. A big week for you. We'll recap what was Saturday, each issue, men's and women's basketball. We'll also talk fail downs, bold predictions, and more. Fail downs. Oh, you love fail downs. In depth Failed downs. Are all downs four of them involving me? That's all I need to know. One involves you.
2: Oh, of course it does. But only in a kind of backdoor, very veiled way where you wouldn't think right off the top it involves Jay Sandoz. But I'll get there because I always find a way to bring it back to insulting you in
0: some way. Yeah, big, big, well, not a big fan of insulting, but <laughs> <laughs> cowboy, big fan yep, of it. Oh, right. there we go. Little cowboy. I saw him today. He's down there watching. Randy. Down there watching film. What a warrior. Watching film. It's 365 days a year for him. So the best thing that popped up uh, on the Twitter timeline today was the fact that this time, like six years ago, was the Florida State uh, Jameis Winston to uh, Kelvin Benjamin touchdown pass to beat Auburn Ah. in the final BCS uh, championship game ever. And so I kind of enjoyed that because I I, uh, kind of snarky tweeted, I know the guy that called the play. Mm. Also tweeted at Evil Randy just in case he did it as well. I covered both bases. I wonder uh,
2: where Evil Randy was at that time. I know where real Randy was, but where was Evil Randy?
0: I'm living, living in, spa- in his headspace? I don't know. <laughs> That's oh, just creepy. <laughs> oh, I hate when you do that to me. All right, let's talk a little. Uh, we will talk a little women's basketball for the next segment, of course. Uh, we'll talk to Brittany Zelda and the coaches show Monday night, 6, 7 o'clock, because we do every single uh, Monday. Now that we are on the new year, but we'll talk ETSU men's basketball in a place that it's hard to say. ETSU football, no matter how good they are, it seems like they go to Western Carolina. They never win. Uh, it just it always seems that way. It seems like ETSU basketball, no matter how good how bad, they are not going to be able to have a good day shooting down in Timmons Arena. Even the year they won with uh, Coach Forbes, they're now I think one in four in the five games down there with Coach Forbes. Even the game they won was like a 63-62, you know, buzzer beater or didn't shoot the lights out of it. It just seems like ETSU struggles to shoot. They did again, 40% from the floor, just 5 of 23 from 3. And honestly, if you take Patrick Good out of it, it's, what is that, 2, for 15? I mean, just brutal numbers all the way around. Tisdale's 4 of 12, Boyd's 2 of 10, Hodges 5 of 13. I really thought ETSU – would try to get the basketball inside. When they did, they scored, but there were too many possessions, I think, where they were just settling for some one-on-one. They weren't moving the basketball, taking long shots. It just didn't fall. Speaking of not moving the basketball. Got some
1: offensive issues, which going into Christmas we didn't have, but some of it the defense has gotten better. But a lot of it, I think, is us, and it's my job to to prepare this team and and get them to play better, so that's on me. For some reason, the ball is stopping when the ball moves and – from side to side, we get pretty good looks, and a lot of times we score. When we don't, we're not very good, in the defense is set. So, for whatever reason, and it's not something that we haven't talked about, but I'm doing a poor job of obviously getting it into the game, and so I got to go back and really, you know, take a hard look at that.
2: This team has a lot of strengths. One of the reasons, probably the main reason, I like going to shoot around or practice with Steve Forbes, who you just heard from in ETSU men's basketball, is because of just the crisp, clean. Really, your hands just pop when you catch the ball, ball movement. I mean, guys are firing passes to each other on the offensive end. It's just one after another. It, you look at how they perform there and how they perform the first six weeks of the year, quite honestly. And it's no surprise that they've had the offensive success that they've had. But you can see lately the looks, while they've had some, right, and some of the issues they are just not knocking down the shots that they did earlier on in the year. But while they have had that offensive success in the first six weeks of the year, Specifically lately, it has been an issue. I mean, now we're talking about what 105 combined points in the last two games. And before Christmas is what Coach Forbes referenced, and you look at how things have unfolded the last three weeks and who the bucks have had to play Milligan, right? 91. LSU go and just have a phenomenal road win, one of the best wins in ETSU's recent program history, if not all-time program history, to go and just dominate LSU on the road. So, phenomenal win. But then you've only had to play Cleveland State, who's just bad. I'm sorry, they're they're not good. And in... Their shoot-around, you could see that. Um, I was keeping my head down mostly, uh, but just being the guy calling the ESPN game that day, having to be unbiased, I could justify sitting in there and kind of taking a peek up here and there, and and they're just way behind the eight ball, and it's not any fault of their coaching staff. They took over really late in the summer because of a situation with their other coach that ended up leading to him being let go. After Cleveland State, Mars Hill, and as much as we want to say, oh, 117—that's eight away from the program record all-time scoring margin. We get that, but you also have to understand that Mars Hill is Mars Hill. They are a 91, and while they looked better than Newberry or Milligan coming into the game, ETSU clearly showed that regardless of how good of a D1, d uh, 91 team you are, the Bucks are still going to be able to exert their authority. Any good D1 team will. And then after that, you hit conference play with three really tough opponents. I can't help but wonder if ETSU after that LSU game just got a bit lackadaisical, started to maybe look at that game and say, ah, we can do things over the next couple of games 70%, 80%, and then walk into, you know, Wofford, um, UNCG, and then this past Saturday, Furman, and have success even without doing what has gotten us here to this point of beating LSU. Because let's be honest, that's a long period of time from the LSU game to another quality opponent in Wofford.
0: It, it is. And, uh, you know, sometimes when things easy for you, right, and, and maybe building off the high of LSU, able to carry it. And, again, you played a couple of teams, like cleveland Santos Division One, but you've already said it, just not very good with what they've got and the coaching change and all that. And just able to run away with that, and maybe there's a little bit of false insecurity. I think also you see when you get into conference play while how you feel about certain teams, and I know everyone's sort of jumped on ETSU's playing sort of the gauntlet, but going back and looking at it, Wofford will have a stretch three games in a row where they played in February, ETSU, Furman, Greensboro, same thing with Furman. They will play – that same three-day span, those teams. in Greensboro a little bit later, actually starting this last game at Wofford, they play Wofford, ETSU, Furman. So they're going to do sort of the three games in a row mm-hmm. as well. But you look at top teams, there's a reason why they're top teams. The other thing is conference play, everybody knows everybody. I mean, the one advantage of ETSU going in this year was they had so many guys returning, right? Well, the disadvantage of that is everybody knows sort of what's been successful in ETSU versus Furman. Wofford and NCG last year just just had one win, if I'm not mistaken. And that was against Furman. Lost both games to Greensboro. Lost all three to uh, Wofford. Got blew out once uh, at Furman. So they just picked up one win last year versus the top three teams. And so there's a reason why they weren't winning those games. And, I, you know, clearly defense and everything. So Wofford, I think, knows how you know strength and weaknesses what to do to take away some things against ETSU I think Furman certainly learned from Wofford and had had success in that building before and and executed bu- uh, brilliantly offensively I thought that's the one thing that was a little disappointing was how ETSU sort of uh, a couple of guys would do their job defensively one guy would get lost when that guy got lost it led to layups and dunks I mean when Trey Clark's getting double figures on you that's a, it's a bad day and and getting double figures on you with about three dunks because if you've ever seen his shot it is a very broke looking shot and there's a reason why trey clark tries to shoot layups i mean he knows his game and he's very good on the offensive glass and was able to keep balls alive offensively clay mounts is a guy that's six seven and really doesn't want to be in there but on an offensive rebound you know because of his jumping ability he's going to crash the glass rebounding is the other thing that blew me away it's one thing to say okay offensively we're not doing a lot the They're not hitting shots. They're not moving the ball. But you would have looked at everything going into that game on what Furman's not done well, what ETSU's done. I think I even read the note of where they are in the nation the last several years where they're third in the nation period in rebounding margin, and they got pummeled on the glass. And a lot of that was being out of position. Some of that came down to the old-fashioned want to. It seemed like that you know Furman was able to get to the 50-50 balls I'm certainly not saying ETSU wasn't trying to win the game I'm just saying when it came down to tracking down a loose basketball and ETSU was able to do that against Wofford when they didn't play well not help to the win they were not able to do that against Furman and they did not win the game
2: Yeah I mean I was completely shocked with rebounding and also just the lack of post touches for Jeromey Rodriguez and Lucas Goussaint, 6 shots Four of six from the floor.
0: And when they did try to throw it to him, they weren't good entry passes. That that was another thing, too, that, that you could hear the staff uh, beside him, I don't know if picks up on the crowd mic or not, but they're screaming, you know, hey, get it to him, he's got him, there would be mismatches. And then even when they were trying to throw Rodriguez the ball, they weren't in good spots to, to throw him the ball. And there was a couple of bad turnovers. But defensively, you know, I think a lot of people, you're still stuck on offense, and I get that. But you hold Furman well, just like Wofford, well under their average. You look at 13 steals, you know, force 19 turnovers. Now they did not capitalize off every turnover, but they did have 21 points off turnovers, and that felt like that was should have been 30 to 35 points. I mean, there were opportunities where fast break attempts weren't even attempted. They uh, pull up, and again, it it is Pat's good game to pull up for three. Normally those go down. That didn't go down. There were blocked shots off layups. I mean, there was a lot of things that ETSU didn't do well in transition.
1: Here's more from Coach Forbes. Got to get some guys shooting it better, but we also got to get some easy points. You know, those transition points you leave on the board, that kill you. You know, we didn't get a lot inside. We didn't get the ball in there. I didn't think we were very physical in there when we were posting up. Did some poor things on offense that, We haven't been doing, but we're going to have to definitely go back and fix.
2: And that's to both of our points about transition points and also then posting up. And you look in transit, 19 turnovers to 21 points, that's pretty good. You look at the ratio, it's usually you want one point for every one turnover that you get. Now, if you get more than that, it's fantastic, right? Like those days where uh, you can get 20 turnovers and, you know, 37 points or whatever it was against, uh, I think it was against, Mars Hill, I believe it was, 27 turnovers forced and 37 uh, points off turnovers or something just absurd. But again, that's a 91 opponent, and you're probably not going to convert at that kind of rate against a team like Furman. So defense does seem like, to go back to Coach Forbes' uh, first soundbite, defense obviously on a game-by-game basis has gotten better. You know, you face Furman, you face Wofford. Those are two teams that, in the league, you're going to have, uh, a, compare at least against Milligan, Mars Hill, Cleveland State, those type of teams, you're probably not going to face the type of defense you're going to against Wofford and Furman. That being said, Wofford just gave up, what, 92 to UNCG? Now, that was a double overtime game.
0: Also, and- UNCG had four guys out.
2: Four guys out. So they had a lot of guys playing. I believe Galloway wasn't playing. playing. and uh,
0: Galloway wasn't playing.
2: There was one other starter. Two of them were starters. Two of the four. And so that'll be interesting to monitor going towards Wednesday when we'll have our next show and break down that came against UNCG. But I think
0: Hunter. Caleb Hunter was the other Caleb guy. Hunter. Yep, yep, that's
2: right. And Hunter, I think, has missed a number of games where Galloway, that was his first time uh, missing a game this year. So, again, very interesting to see. But... While we say, you know, defense has gotten better and such, I don't know what you think when you see some of the things that are going against ETSU in these last couple of games, but I do think some of it, and I would also say I think Wofford's a better defensive team than Furman. That's just personally where my thought, I'm seeing both of those teams, you know, these back to back games, that's where I'm at with it. and I guess they showed that with ETSU scoring 49, and then the Bucks putting up 56 against uh, Furman, but I, I do think the majority of it is on the Bucs side because they're, when clicking on all cylinders, too good of a team to combine for 105 points in two games against anyone, especially league teams when you need to be at your best.
0: I mean, if you want to look at it, you can look at it two ways, how uh, atrocious the offense has been. You can also look at it and go... If I told you before those two games they were going to have 105 points, you're chalking up two losses. Correct. I don't, I don't care how you're looking And that's
2: at. the other side of it, right? And,
0: and, and Unless you're thinking somehow they scored 80 and then 30, you're pretty much chalking up two losses. Right. And, and so, gritted out a win at home. And this is a stat that, that I went back and looked. Because all the time, it's very easy. You know, it's hard. You know, the everybody always crushes Cooch Bar, too. But hard to win games on a road, right? Hard to win games on a road. Well, the top seven teams in the Southern Conference. Okay. Top seven teams in non-conference action went 48 and four. The only team that was under 500 at home was the Citadel, who was three and four. Mercer and VMI were four and four. Everybody else combined for four losses at home. Sanford had one of those losses. Greensboro got beat twice on two half-court heaves. So right. think about that. And then the other loss at home was Wofford. So. 48-4 is pretty stout. In league play, the top seven teams have not dropped a game. The only teams to lose at home, and they have not won a game at home because they're 0-2, uh, is Citadel, Mercer, VMI. Now they're 0-3 in the league, period, but they have not won a home game. So to go on the road and pick up wins in the league right now is proving to be tough. ETSU's next road game, obviously, Wednesday will be tough because, again, 9-2 and two at home, 2-0 and oh in league play. The two losses were half-court. Miracle Haymakers, you know, Bob, was it Montana State and NC State? Yep. So it has a state in the name. So maybe that works out well. I'm not sure how that works. But you look at that, and if you can get a win on the road, as, as bad as Furman is, but it, it, the loss was, if you sit there and look and go, okay, if you were to beat UNCG and you go 2-1 and one during that gauntlet and you stole a road game, I still think you're feeling fine. Like, I understand there is frustration on the offense and, it, you know, and a lot of people are voicing. I heard it down there in the stands. I've, uh, people have sent me messages. Clearly, if you're on social media, you see what's going on. And I don't think you can discount what the offense has kind of struggled to be because of everything's going. But I think some of it has to be a few guys aren't knocking down shots. And some of that, I think, because they're doing trying to do more than what they were earlier in the season. Sure. And back to the ball movement thing. And I think ETSU are going to have to do that against Greensboro. Is going to be where the Bucks have been successful against pressing teams. Greensboro is going to try to speed things up. The big thing, and we'll talk about it Wednesday, but the big thing is they're going to put two shooters in the corner. Whether it's Pat and Bo Hodges, whether that's Trey Boyd and Davian Williamson, whoever it's going to be. They're going to have guys in the corner. And they're going to put a big man, whether it's Rodriguez or maybe they put Hodges and Tisdale. They're going to have two guys in the back. They're going to put a big man in the middle. They're going to try to get it to the middle. They're going to throw the corner. And if ETSU hits threes like Wofford did, then Greensboro has to get out of the press. And then they've got to play half-court man, which is not what they want to do. And that is going to be the key when they're in there. Guys that haven't hit threes, and you go back the last two games, they have not hit threes. If those threes drop, especially early, that changes the whole dynamic of the game.
2: To your point about the home and away, six teams in the Southern Conference have losing away records. ETSU is not one of them. They're still one of the better away teams in the SOCON. And I think all that the last two games have been, just to, and I critique because, you know, that's kind of part of our job, but also let's have some uh, perspective. Let's take a look at a bigger picture here. All that's shown the last couple of games is that, much like we thought coming into the Southern Conference and showing what last year was and carrying it over to this year we've got a couple of years now to really draw off of that it's not an easy league to win no one's going to run away with it and while ETSU fans Buck Nation people around here myself yourself look and say well beat LSU I mean we're best team in the league that, that solidifies it we were the favorite we go on the road get a huge one against an SEC team darn near blew them out you know up 23 end up winning by 11 That solidifies us as top dog in one of the best mid-major conferences in the country. We're going to be a force come March. We should be ranked all the things that come with that bit of success that the Bucs had. But this brings us back down to earth and helps us realize that to win in the SOCON, game in, game out, and you can say if you want, oh, well, that should be... Uh, built in that no one takes it for granted and you know Coach Forbes should have it ingrained in these guys' minds that you can't take nights off and you can't rest on your laurels and so on and so forth. I don't think Coach Forbes uh, does that. I don't think he lets the players rest on their laurels. I know that he in practice every day is on top of the guys to make sure that they come out their best because he knows how tough it is to win in this league and win on a night-in night-out basis, whether it be non-conference or specifically in the SOCON. I know that it's a Definite that he is on guys constantly to remember that. So make sure, and you heard it in that soundbite, uh, the first one that we played of Coach Forbes. He said, it's on me. It's my fault that offensively things are just not clicking how they should. He knows. He knows. And while on Twitter I see everyone, oh, Coach Forbes, why is he letting him slap? You know, what's going on? Why, why are the guys – this is all on – okay. He knows that he is the one responsible for the things that they're doing in practice, not translating to the game. He's going to take responsibility for it, even if he doesn't think that. But he knows that as the head man and someone that's expected a lot of on this campus and around this region, that it is up to him to get it right. And he's going to get it right. I was surprised that they lost the game, quite honestly. I was surprised the fashion in which they lost. I thought that they'd come out and win and kind of take it too firm, and quite honestly, considering what happened last year. I thought they'd be fired up to come and prove that that was an aberration. It didn't happen, but let's have some perspective. Coach Forbes knows what's wrong. He's stated it. He's going to go in and practice with the guys and get it through their heads. And the guys will do it themselves as well. You know, there's got to be a want to there. And I know with Bo Hodges, Isaiah Tizzi, all the leaders on this team, that there's going to be accountability there in the locker room as well. It's just a reminder from Furman, from Wofford, and you saw it in the UNCG and Wofford double overtime game. The top four in this league are still very, very close.
0: And Furman has the longest win streak in the league right now at six games. So they're playing pretty good basketball as so well. They are. And for whatever reason, Timmins Arena has been a huge advantage. I'm still shocked now. They're not going to play every weekend game there. Once the students are back, they're going to go on Saturdays and play uh, down what they call the Well, and uh, which is the downtown arena, which I, I think is a mistake. And the only thing that disappoints me is I could see Furman maybe dropping a couple of games and then people kind of overreaching for how bad this loss was. Mm. And I think it would be interesting if the Bucs played – in the downtown arena, I think it would be better for ETSU and the home court advantage wouldn't quite be there because for whatever reason, they need to change a venue. Cause, and I, I base that off, what's ETSU's record versus Furman at home? And what's ETSU's record in a neutral site? I mean, Furman hasn't beat ETSU in a neutral site Southern Conference nice game straight, since the hasn't? 70s. Wow, 79, I think, was the last time Furman had beaten ETSU on neutral site. Bucks have won five in a row, and they won four since 2004. On. And that was a 2004 team that won 10 games, and they still managed to beat Furman in the Southern Conference Tournament. So, uh, to me, it's for whatever reason, they've just struggled down there, chalk it up, move on. Um, At this point forward, you can only move forward, you can look back as much as you want to, but Wednesday UNCG is not going to feel sorry for ETSU, and they're going to have to try to correct some things pretty quick.
2: I'll leave it at this. If you would have told me that the Bucks would have a chance to win two of three and going into the stretch that two of three was what they were shooting for, You know, two of three to me is success, and they've still got a chance to do that.
0: And for whatever reason, it always feels like it. I'll go back to what Scott Wagers, long-time assistant for ETSU now at South Florida, used to say, if you lose 91-88, people don't say a whole lot. But when you score 50, 60 points, people just feel really bad about the True. loss, more than what they do, and so – Sixty-five, fifty-six. certainly felt that way. We'll talk ETSU Women's Basketball for this time out. Send us a sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at BrightRidge.com. Sandos and the sidekick back with you. Let's guitar
2: get in there. Come on now, know your bumpers, Sandoz. There
0: you go. I let it crank up there. You're more Hi. of a drums guy or more of a guitar guy? If you were to be in a band, drums, I'm a I'm more yeah, of a, a drums uh, guy yeah, too. I'd, I'd be a drums guy. Yeah. To me, there's nothing better than a good drum line, and especially like at a football game, like as you see the team come out or whatever, there's a drum line kind of leading the sort of like the buck walk and all that. You get the drum line kind of going. You to me, you love that, that
2: movie, didn't you? Is that Nick Cannon? I did love Eastside that movie. yeah. Yeah,
0: and I, I had more appreciation for it. And uh, My uh, bunkmate in Iraq actually was a member of the famed Marching 100s at Florida a Wow. And so he actually broke down a lot of stuff that, that, that I just had no idea about. Even if you see the movie, see some other things, but he broke down a lot of stuff on just sort of the train, how they take it serious and the competitions and everything going. It's sort of like um, I had a, a – high school buddy of mine who ended up being a male cheerleader and of course mid-90s people were making fun of him and then when he came back and was showing us like the training regiment you're going holy crap I'm like this, guy, oh, I this guy's doing some some legit stuff in general so that being said uh, i do like the drum line we'll go back there um speaking of drum line as etsu uh could not throw it in the drum in the second half and just 18 points i think Sitting there looking at the stats as we were driving across the mountain to, to to Greenville, South Carolina, we're keeping up just live stats and kind of feeling good about the first half. I, honestly, you sit there and you look at some of the numbers for ETSU, and, you know, first half, 7-14 first quarter. Second quarter slipped a little, but they were right there. You know, they played pretty good defense, not down a heck of a whole lot. And then the third quarter, it just continued, really after the first quarter. I mean, 50% 7-14 shooting. Then you go 3-12, 4-12, 1-9. So the rest of the way, not, not a lot to talk about. And I think that maybe that was a disappointment because of how good ETSU had started. And that had been an issue. ETSU had had trouble starting games, got out to a good start, but couldn't keep it going. There are
2: some eye-popping stats out of this one. And firstly, the stat I want to give is number of players from Academy of Holy Angels on their team that you brought up on Friday, and clearly Laura bagwell Catalinich. Is that one player? As we talked about, if you listen to the show on Friday, I was very upset. I'm very upset now because she had a double double. So I kind of blame you for putting that out into the universe, bringing it to my attention, for me watching her do what she did. And she wasn't by any means dominant, but 16 and 10, and then Samantha Weidman had 15 and 17, so a couple of double doubles. But uh, yeah, that stung a little bit extra. Thanks to you, Sandos. Appreciate you. Uh, I'm here for me you. aware. Buddy. Yeah, obviously. Uh, the first half was very encouraged. Because as we talked about on Friday, and we speculated on, really, but it ended up being the case, Ty Kimbrough did not play uh, for ETSU. So they, once again, had nine bodies. It was Sheets, Jackson, Upton, Adam Stafford as the starters, and then Harvey, Craig, Brown, and Purdue off the bench. And Sierra Purdue, I've been really... Um, I've seen some positive turns from her over the last few games, getting some more opportunity in ETSU's 91 game on the 31st against Converse College. And she put forth 10 more good minutes, you know, had four points, grabbed a rebound. Uh, But that's your only size off the bench because Ariel Harvey, while she is uh, a six footer, she also is someone that is going to play more on the perimeter. You know, she made a name for herself in college basketball as a shooter. She was top 10 in the A ten at St. Bonaventure in three point percentage during her season there. So she's gonna be more of a perimeter based player and the Bucks just didn't have the size to compete with Cornell on the glass. And that's why when I looked at the first half and it was twenty eight to twenty five going to the break, I was a little bit smacked in the face by it. You <laughs> know, I said while the Bucks were a pretty heavy underdog going in to be down three, and Kyle Upton at that point had five turnovers as well, so there wasn't exactly the stability at the point guard position at that point. I was, um, I thought the effort was phenomenal in that first half, and I thought when the game was going how it was that if the Bucks could just take that step and play consistently like they did in the first quarter in the second half because in that second quarter, really, it was just Shania Jackson. She had all eight points for ETSU in that frame, so there wasn't the support that the Bucks needed offensively. If they could get back to how they played in the first quarter in that third and fourth quarter, they had a chance to pull an upset on the road. Unfortunately, it went the other way, and they were outscored 43-18. to 18. The rebounding margin in the second half was 31-9. to 9. And we mentioned the eight points from Shania Jackson in the second quarter. Micah Sheets and Shania Jackson combined for 27 of the Bucs, 43 points. So, some of those eye popping stats, you know, what we're delivering to you now. But without Kimbrough, it was going to be tough on the boards, and that showed because overall it was 51 to 25. And again, they were just minus four at the half. Going to be very interested to hear Brittany Azell's thoughts tonight on the coach's show about why the second half was so much different than the first because obviously, you know, that first quarter being what it was, ETSU ahead by three. Second quarter started to tail off a bit, but as you said, just right there in the game still, if they could just find some consistency to play in the first quarter, you know, in that third and fourth quarter as well, uh, it could have been a different game, but I'll be interested to hear Coach Zell and why she thinks that didn't happen in that second 20 minutes.
1: The
0: rebounding is just glaring, right? You look at 25 total rebounds, and if I'm not... Uh, I'm
2: 32 misses.
0: Uh, yeah, but I, I was, uh, what I was going to say is I think they had a couple double-doubles, but yeah. Weidman and Begwell Thank I was trying. I just but they had 27, right? So they out-rebounded ETSU by two by themselves, and we talk about averages, Not and, I, and the, broken record, whatever you want to say about me, I just feel like if ETSU, if the players can, can play their averages, and you look at Stafford 0 of 9, right? I mean, you just you, you can't kind of have that, right? You need more out of Amaya Adams. You know, Sheets gets to 14, but it was on 15 shots, right? Need a little bit more there. Need more of Shania Jackson. Some of this is, again... A lot of those players, Sheets playing 38 minutes, Stafford playing 30, Upton again 37. I mean, you're trying to get more – it's good to see Jada Craig back, 14 minutes of action, you know, and, and probably could have got more if she wasn't in foul trouble. But there's still, I think, with the thin as they are, as they are, they're still going to have to have people get to averages. They just can't have – you know, and the problem is it's not one or two that, that can't do it. They literally can't have one not hit an average <laughs> because of the just – The numbers game and everything else that's going into it. I think that's the that's the one thing that plays into it is you just have to have everybody literally has to do their job on that day, and it's just going to be a tough road uh, for ETSU, especially playing an opponent uh, a little bit of a higher level in the Ivy League, getting into league play the first couple games. You know, we'll, we'll wait and see because the Southern Conference is not particularly and hasn't been the last couple years strong. That being said, the top of the league has been good. And they'll get a first look at that at UNCG Thursday. So the men play at uh, Greensboro on Wednesday. The women play there on Thursday. And then they come home. I'm sorry, they don't come home. They go on the road to Culloway to take on Western Sugar. Take on, that is, an approved Western Carolina team. But, again, you know, road road to start. If you can kind of go one and one and come home for Furman Wofford because that's probably the other two teams in the league, just like we talk about the men's uh, schedule and who they're going to play early on three of the first four because they've already played the Citadel, and then they got three in a row. You're looking at the women's schedule and they're going to go UNCG at Western, home uh, firm and Wofford. Those are three of the top four teams that that were predicted going into it, and so you're going to kind of know where ETSU is in league play and uh, give Coach Ezell credit because they've struggled in non-conference. Of course, they've played pretty good schedules the last few years, but they've been able to kind of turn it around and be the the upper half of the southern conference once it comes to league play and they'll be tested pretty early coming up this week as their first conference games
2: yeah uncg is going to be a tough uh a tough opponent no doubt considering what they've done in the non-conference a surprise because they've been uh, bottom of the league really you know eight teams in the southern conference they've been a bottom three or four team for a few years now but no need to panic about this cornell game you know in all honesty uh, you know without ty kimbrough as we mentioned it was going to be an uphill battle she is expected back for conference play i think coaches Zell and company are fine leaving that cornell trip in the rearview mirror especially considering the travel back where they had some snow and couldn't get out had to drive to rochester and then fly to charlotte and uh then you know yeah those uh, are fun drive all the way to johnson city i mean they didn't get in till about nine thirty last night and then had practice this morning so uh clearly they they paid for that trip not only on the court but then off the court coming back i'm quite sure that they're ready to move on to conference play but Let's have, again, some perspective because, you know, I love doing that on this show specifically, uh, apparently in the new year. Maybe it's a New Year's thing for me. I'm trying to be more positive and have more perspective um, on everything. But ETSU uh, definitely being one of those subjects, five and ten in the non-conference, yes, it's not exactly the record you were looking for. But, again, it was another non-conference campaign that Coach Zell scheduled aggressive, right? She's always going to do that because she wants to give her kids the experience of going out playing the best and getting them ready for conference play this schedule is going to do that and you look up and down the non conference, and of course, save Converse, right? And even a little bit Cornell, but like you said, the Ivy League is strong, uh, and the Bucks just being shorthanded and having the transfer of Erica Haynes Overton didn't see that coming, and then Kimbro not being available uh, really your only prolific size inside with Shania Jackson being more of a stretch four, a stretch five. Uh, the result is one that you would have liked to have back, but you also played 20 really solid minutes, and if you can emulate that going forward, you're going to be. In a good spot so five non-conference wins that's three more than last year they've got a couple of road wins it took them until the very end of february to get even one non-johnson city win over the entire season last year and they've had to deal with a bit more this year than they did last year health has kind of been an ever-present thing for this team the last couple of seasons so that's always been there but the transfer of your best player again something that you couldn't have seen coming obviously so if you look at the 15 games, yes, you'd like to be 10 and 5 instead of 5 and 10, but I think these opponents from you know 1 to 13 certainly, and then even with Cornell you see that they're strong and you take out the 91. Really, your entire non-conference has featured top-level opponents. Wake Forest just beat Georgia Tech, by the way. And that, to me, was a shock because when you see what ETSU did to Wake Forest and then they go to Georgia Tech and you have those two results, the win over Wake Forest by uh, seven and then the, or five, I think it was seven, uh, then the loss on the road to Georgia Tech by 39, you're like, okay, well, Georgia Tech's going to stop Wake Forest. No, the Demon Deacons just beat Georgia Tech. So even when you look at the wins for ETSU and the teams they've been able to beat, they're doing some good things. Liberty's going to be strong in their conference. Appalachian State's going to be strong in their conference, and obviously uh, we see what Georgia Tech um, and Wake uh, have been able to do and specifically Wake over Georgia Tech this past weekend. So uh, some perspective. I think that things are trending in the right direction, and with Kimbrough back for Thursday against UNCG, as you said, early test, we'll break it down Wednesday, and that broadcast will be on the Buccaneer Sports Network as well, 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame. Looking forward to it.
0: Take a look one last thing before we turn the page. Again, home records, right? The top teams in the league, UNCG, Furman, Wofford. You even look on the women's side of it, they're 17-4 and four, uh, at home. And uh, everybody else below five hundred. So, again, I think what you get into conference play. Now, Mercer's the shocker because they've just fallen off the map. They're 3-12, and 12, uh, and I think one or two of those wins were against 9-D-1s.
2: Starting point guard no longer on the team, so they've had a little bit of stuff going uh, on, too. You know, uh,
0: Sanford, sort of Sanford, 5-10. and 10, Western Carolina's picked up one division. Now they're two and twelve. They've got one non D one win. They do have a division one win this year. It took forever last year for them to get. And Chattanooga at one and thirteen, which is just the most baffling stat in the history of women's basketball in the Southern Conference. I turned into you right there to give you a lot of hyperbole. I probably, all right. Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> it is baffling because of where they were for twenty five years. The fact that they are now one and thirteen, but just going back to being tested. ETSU is going to go to Greensboro where they're 5-1, and then they're going to go to Western, where Western's two wins have come at home, and they've got a non-division one today, as a matter of fact, on Monday. Then they've got Chattanooga, which, again, is a winnable game for them, and then they've got uh, ETSU coming to town. So it would be curious to see there. And then they've got Firmall Wofford. So you could – if ETSU can go sort of a 3-1, and one, maybe hold serve at home, you know, and, and get that win at Western or, or heck, even – Uh, the UNCG situation. I mean, this thing can turn quickly, and what a confidence boost it would be if you got off to that good start and had a few people healthy. I think that's important to see. Got to get ten bodies.
2: We got to get past that nine mark and get to double digits. So
0: that's a look at uh, each issue. Men's, Men's basketball, women's basketball. Fell downs. Right after this time, out to a word from San Diego Sidekick on the Buccaneers. Sports Network.
1: Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty? Naughty and nice? Hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery, game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One two three. Fail. One two three. Fail. One two three. Fail. One two three. Fail now. One two three. Fail. One two three. Fail. One two three. Fail. One two three. Fail now. Fail now. Fail now. Fail fail fail, fail now.
0: Failed downs. You love it? Do you love it? I'm a fan. Are you? I mean, love strong, but I'm a fan. Yeah. I don't, I'm, love, I'm, you don't I'm, love anything. I'm uh, Madly and Like. How's that?
2: Madly and Like. Yeah. Good. First fail. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Good
0: afternoon. Um. First off, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. The Washington Redskins have
2: <laughs> been a complete disaster for really all of my uh, lifetime, and that's the man at the top, Dan Snyder, introducing him. And Ron that was Lander. not during Thanksgiving, right? It was not. It was, I believe, just a few days ago, uh, beginning of last week, middle of last week. Uh, it was post-Christmas, and a month later, Dan Snyder, clearly not knowing what city he's in, where he is, what time of the day it is. I'm quite sure all of these things are true uh, about it, the man at the top for the Washington Redskins who has led them down a very dark path and continues to do so.
0: Any chance that he knows how people feel about him and just went with, how can I? I've thought about that. I've thought, no. No one is going with that, by the way. That's why I'm at. Nobody.
2: And I've I've gone maybe the okay. Dan Snyder at this point is in on his own inside joke. No one else is. It
0: was January 2nd. So it wasn't even the same year anymore. Uh, Yeah, so was he trying to say Happy New Year and just said Happy Thanksgiving? I mean, is it one of things? He said it so confidently. He did. He did. uh,
2: He knows what he's doing. But I think a lot of Washington fans have been fooled into thinking that before. And we can clearly see the horrendous results over the last – gosh, when is the last time they were any good at all? It was the RG3 year when his entire knee was really left on the field – in Washington when it collapsed under the weight of the playoff expectations of Washington, but also under the lack of ligaments that were left under the brace that he was wearing. Uh, I got to look through their season by season because that was if that's their best moment, getting to the first round with RG3 and then the entire franchise falling at the knee of RG3 that same year. I mean, when is the last time they had any kind of success at all?
0: Do you have an answer to that? Uh, they made the playoffs with RG3. Okay, you're, and, and you're clearly
2: not listening because I just laid that entire thing out. Oh, okay. New year, not new you.
0: No, yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because Crazy Coach. Crazy Coach. He can
2: wait till after this. No, no. no. So, the show. so,
0: So, Crazy Coach is, has, has uh, wore me out, you'll love this, uh, for tickets for the UNCG game, in which i I've tried to tell him it is on the road Wednesday. And then he has tried to save face by saying, oh, no, I meant the February 1st game. So he needs me to give him four tickets right now f- for February first, and that has mind and me. That's a fail down. Can I can I give myself a fail down for that? First down, first
1: fail. Okay, there we go. All so
2: right. they did make the playoffs one time. Since then, it was against the Packers. They were nine and seven under Gruden, and they got housed at home, I believe, thirty-five to eighteen. The last time they won a playoff game, two thousand five, against the Buccaneers. Who was the quarterback? I think that was the Chris Sims led Buccaneers. Maybe at that point. Who's the Washington quarterback? Yeah, that, that's Mark a better Brunel? question. Mark Brunel? was that post Jacksonville oh Mark Brunell, uh,
0: and then that would be a fun one.
2: The last time they came out of the divisional round was when they won the Super Bowl in 1991. With I do know the quarterback of that team. Uh, oh, Mark Rippin. I thought
0: it was Doug Williams. Oh no, Williams was in the 80s. Mm. Oh, that was four right now, years now, earlier when they won the Super Bowl. The, the skins Williams. were interesting because you know they had three Rippin. Wow, they had like three Super Bowls in not a yeah. large span of time, but three different quarterbacks.
2: 82, 87, 91. uh, Is that Theismann? No. Yeah. Theismann? 82? 82, yes. 87 was Williams, and then 91 must have been Mark Rippin. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Anyway, since 91, they have won two, make it three playoff games and never gotten out of the second round. And that's because of this, man. Good afternoon.
0: Um,
1: First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving
2: Thanksgiving to you, Mr. Dan Snyder. Uh, We hope Ron Rivera blocks out. Every possible outside bit of noise from Dan Snyder Because I think that's the only way success will come At least we hope that for Washington
0: It was Mark Brunel, good call Ah, beautiful Second
2: fail Second fail Second fail Is me Lamar Jackson An all pro at QB Yep Not unanimous The man that got the other three votes Tom Brady Russell Wilson And I'll give you That's fine Is it? I'm going to read you the stats because, to me, it seems very egregious. Lamar Jackson, 66% completion percentage, 36 touchdowns passing to six interceptions, league leader in QBR at 81.1, 3,100 passing yards, 6.9 yards per attempt rushing. That led the league. 1,206 rushing yards and seven rushing TDs. So, if you're counting, 43 total touchdowns. While Russell Wilson, 66% completion percentage. That's the same as Lamar. 31 touchdowns. That's five less five interceptions, one interception less, 4,110 yards. Sure, that's about 1,000 more than Jackson, but you factor in rushing yards, then they're about the same because Russell only had 342 rushing yards and three rushing TDs. And also let's remember that Lamar Jackson led Baltimore to the number one seed in the AFC while Russell Wilson is a five, and if not for Josh McCown having to come in for Russell or for Carson Wentz yesterday, Seattle would no longer be in the playoffs.
0: I think the uh argument the other way was I think there were 9 Ravens on the all-pro team and there was only Russell Wilson for the Seahawks. And that he was the only thing going for them and they do not Was it because Chris Carson and Rashad Petty were both pretty good in that backfield before they I'm got hurt? Not I'm just I'm just saying that the argument for I believe is just a simple fact. I think maybe Bobby Wagner I thought Bobby Wagner was on. I could be wrong. But Offensively, it was only Russell Wilson. The other thing is the emergence of the run game. I know everybody's a passing league, passing league, passing league, but the Ravens set an all-time mark for rushing, and then the league's leading rusher will square off this week in Derrick Henry, and there. So as much as everyone uh, loves the pass and all that, it gets back to defense and running the football. Did when it gets you to the see the stat? I believe this was. I I don't think this is incorrect.
2: I was kind of half paying attention, but when I saw this, I kind of. Put my head up from my computer and paid all the attention that I could. I believe the top four teams in the league in rushing yards, all in the playoffs. Top four teams in the league in passing yards, all missed it.
0: Correct, and 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 that is now it's a little different. Uh, a lot of the teams that were in like the Buccaneers and all that, they they were just playing from behind. Their Down teams that play yeah. from behind, you you got to chunk it around a little bit. There's a little bit of of that's always sort of happened. Hey, Jameis Winston's balling, man. Yeah, when you win, you, run, you run the ball late. Boy, that, that, that could be a that, You know, even when New England in 2007 set all the offensive and then, of course, I think Manning the next year, like if you even go back and look, they were middle of the pack, if not close to the top 10 or 12 in rushing because as it got later in the game, they were able just to pick up yards and run the football and sort of kill the clock a little bit. So I don't think that's – I'm not appalled that Lamar wasn't unanimous. I think clearly he should have won, uh, which he did. So I'm I don't, I, I'm not as failed as you are on that, I guess. The argument is we can... Your argument just is... Just when
1: I think you couldn't possibly be theory. any dumber.
0: But your argument is that he just should have been unanimous. Unanimous!
1: Okay.
2: Look at the stats! Look at the stats, look what he did, and when they I'm, lose... I'm, I'm, friend, I'm fine that he wasn't. No, no, okay. I, I think he Nobody's should have
0: friend. won. I would have voted for him, but I don't think it's egregious that somebody would i uh, have the gall to vote for somebody It else. is a fail that he was not unanimous,
2: okay. but I also think they're going to lose in the first round to Derrick Henry and the Titans.
0: I agree. Fantastic. Third fail. Third fail. You know, I'm a Titans fan now. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm Joe not, Moorhead. I'll punt on Tom Brady, go.
2: Joe Moorhead out after going 14-12 and 12 at Mississippi State, and this is not just a fail. For Joe Moorhead or Mississippi State, because everyone is very upset that Moorhead was let go, and there's some questions behind the scenes about culture and about uh, fights and practice, stuff like that. But the bigger overarching fail is what we're getting to here. 2017 hires at Power Five Schools. Willie Taggart at Florida State, fired. Moorhead at Mississippi State, fired. Scott Frost at Nebraska is nine and fifteen. Chip Kelly at UCLA is seven and seventeen. Chad Morris at Arkansas went 4-18 before, you guessed it, being fired. And Arkansas hadn't had a two-win season since 1952, let alone two in a row, which is what Chad Morris was able to accomplish at Arkansas before being fired. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona, 9-15 in what is a bad Pac-12. Matt Luke at Ole Miss, 9-15, fired. He was the interim in 2017 before getting hired in 2018 and 19, so we're just counting the 2018 and 19 years. 9-15, fired. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State 7-17. and 17. Now I will say this in Jonathan Smith's defense, Oregon State is bad, has been bad forever and he did have five wins this year after two in his first year. So maybe some progress there. There are some positives. I'd say the middle of the road right now are Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee who's 13-12 and 12, and Herm, my guy Herm, 15-11 and 11 at Arizona State. And then there are the uh, the winners out of this class, Dan Mullen at Florida 21-5, and five, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M 17-9, and Mario Cristobal at Oregon, the Rose Bowl victory this year, and 21-6. and six. The third fail, you can either say Mississippi State completely failed or Joe Moorhead failed in getting Mississippi State where they wanted to be, or you can say that the entire 2017 class and most of the schools that hired them have completely failed their programs and their schools with horrible hires. What are you taking?
0: Mississippi State waits till after signing day, waits till after a bowl game. You kind of sit there and expect to see more come out at some point, which has not happened. So I think it's on Mississippi State. If you're going to make a change, I don't understand why you wait for a 6-6 six six team in a bowl game. And the other thing is, and I know the the cool thing now is people sign with the school, but they don't sign LLIs. Yeah. And so – I mean, it was a top 25 recruiting class, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it was a pretty good recruiting class, early signing. I'm just confused on – I think it's a fail for Mississippi State on what they're doing timing-wise uh, on what was going on. And I, I keep waiting to say, okay, well, I'll give Mississippi State a bit of 've they found something or something has come up or maybe they buried something nobody needs to know about. But I'm just thinking that the timing of it is a fail for Mississippi State – for Moorhead, you could have – I mean, I, I think if you fired him off the bat, you look at Moorhead. You wait to after the bowl game, after the new year, everything else to let him go, I, I just find that peculiar. The other point people are bringing up is what
2: is Mississippi State expecting themselves to be? Are the expectations just way too high ever since Dak came in there and had that great year uh, before he was drafted, obviously, by the Cowboys and has been pretty average since? But what is Mississippi State gassing themselves up on? Are they expecting to be Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia every year? And why, if so, do they think they can just make that jump, especially in just two years?
0: I'm assuming because they take a look at the rest of the SEC West and you're, you're looking at it, you know, playing in a championship game since they've gone to the playoffs, right? You're looking at Auburn's done it, Alabama's done it, LSU's done it. That's the only thing I can go off Pretty of. Pretty good programs. But, but I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's all I can go off of. I mean, th- th- three of the <laughs> seven in the West have gone, but I'm, I don't. I have no idea. Um, and I think that's the problem sometimes. I think, you know, I think Iowa has probably the best perspective of any team in, in America. They go, all right, Kurt Ferrance, we're going to win eight, nine games eight a year. ten, yep. And – if we have a great year, we're in the Big Ten Championship. If not, we're we're booking Still eight or nine good. wins and we're gonna be fine. Yeah. And we're not gonna overreact, we're not gonna do whatever. We're Iowa, this is what we are. I kinda feel like most teams in the country should do that. The problem is most fan bases other than Iowa apparently cannot do that. I
2: will say this. Dan Mullen did have a lot of success there and went to a ton of bowls, so maybe they're just living in that world where because Dan Mullen was such a good coach, every coach is gonna be such a good coach, but it still does seem You also a don't bit know true.
0: if Joe Moorhead around the office was a jack wagon, right? And I mean, that's some the of that behind too, the scenes right? stuff he, that counters were something. upset and has yeah, to be something I think on. behind the scenes that has not come out. Otherwise I I'm just that That just seems inept on Mississippi State's part to let him go.
2: Fourth fail. There's another couple of options here for you to choose from. The fail looks to be off the bat Richard Sherman, and this is what people said when he signed his contract, when he was negotiating as himself, as his own agent, that he was an idiot. And he's failing himself by not getting an agent and having someone go in that knows and does these things for a living to negotiate his contract for him so he could get the best deal Well he said forget it I'm going to do it myself And after just earning another Incentive in a incentive laden Contract and he's now raked in millions And millions and millions in incentives he said Fans please find me all these quote He negotiates a bad deal receipts I want to see Something and this was I believe on Friday Joe Thomas Now retired former Cleveland Brown Offensive lineman you really feel bad for Richard Sherman and these are all when he signed the contract So uh, well, I suppose that Would have been only a few months ago, earlier in the year, because I think this is the first year of that contract, right? Or maybe it was two years, whatever. But recently, uh, you really feel bad for Richard Sherman, says Joe Thomas. But this is clearly a case of ego getting in the way of his pocketbook. You got absolutely crushed on this contract while working as your own agent. Ben Volen, who's uh, some writer... For some publication. Richard Sherman contract with the 49ers, basically a case study on how not to negotiate a contract, and that was in the Boston Globe. Uh, boy, did the 49ers take Richard Sherman for a ride. That was also Ben Volan Alicia Jessup, uh, who is works for something called Ruling Sports, I don't know, that's her Twitter, ha- Twitter handle, at Ruling Sports. I felt like I knew contracts well enough, quote, uh, quoting Richard Sherman in her tweet. And then she says, It's not wise for a veteran NFL player to negotiate his own contract because of guarantee issues. The contract Sherman negotiated for himself demonstrates this. Jason Lock on Forrest, CBS. Richard Sherman's contract is a cautionary tale to all players about dealing without an agent. Then there's another guy that makes a terrible contract for sherman who's responding to the niners tweet or whatever uh, or ben volan or someone about the contract if he gets cut he will not get signed by another team in a big deal because he'll have washed out on san francisco the 49ers can't lose and sherman can't win and it goes on and on and on i'm wondering if you're seeing the success of richard sherman and you're going to negotiate your next contract go
0: am i gonna yes i always negotiate my contracts for the simple reason, I don't want to pay the percentage. Now, my percentage, and that's Richard is, Sherman's. That's side. right. He, I, this actually started. The first pro athlete that started negotiating, sort of his own contracts, was Tim Duncan, and Tim Duncan basically just paid a lawyer to look over language that he wanted, so he would negotiate with the Spurs because obviously he didn't play anybody else, and say, "Here's the deal I'm looking for. Here's what I want to make. Here's what." Now, in NFL, it's more incentive based than most leagues. But still, Tim Duncan said, all right, I just want to pay my lawyer. Here's your hourly fee. This is all you're getting. You're not getting all this money. Sherman did the same thing. I'm curious. He just said him and his wife negotiated, so I don't know if she's a lawyer or just they felt good about it. But he earned an extra $4 million this year, second year of the deal, by the way. But $4 million in incentives I think is a pretty good job of betting on yourself. And I think maybe mm-hmm. the craziest contract people go back to mm-hmm. was the Ricky Williams mm-hmm. when he signed with, like, Jay-Z and that group back in the day. and they literally ahead had, of his time. <laughs> and they literally had these crazy incentives where he had to have over 2,000 yards. He would have to set the single-season rushing record. He would have to have the single-game rushing record. In 10 years, he would be the all-time leader. Like, it was so crazy. And he had none of them. And, of course, he, he had the, the bipolar disorder and had to get out of the league and then came back. Uh, into the league and, and then did not negotiate his own contract at that point and was able to make best. So I like uh, what Richard Sermon did there. I like where his head's at. Certainly I've never uh, used an agent of any kind. Uh, well, when you th- wash
2: out of the Buccaneer Sports yeah. Network and you don't have your millions anymore, you're going to be sorry.
0: That is that is true. That is true. And all my freelance gigs too, right? The,
2: uh, the professor said, shut up already and go to bed. You make millions. Well, you should have, and you should have gotten a lawyer after looking at your contract. Not the smartest tool in the shed. Bad Deal. That's directed, I think, that's at... R Sherman underscore twenty five and at ETSU Bucks voice is what I'm reading.
0: <laughs> Should be at Bucks.
2: So voice. fail on you and fail on all of these people that are going after Richard Sherman. You think Richard Sherman did not fail? You think that he no. did hey, he's a genius and he's a genius. He's Hold a genius. Listen, a lot of people. Well done, a lot of
0: people thought Kirk Cousins I am was an the idiot too. Man alive! Right, because no, I he didn't. kept taking the franchise, uh, franchise, franchise, and bet on himself, and he and he got paid. He I made, love me he, some Kirk Cousins. He, Woo! he. Made, he made, I'm sure you do. But he made more money in those two years franchise, and then got a bigger contract guarantee than any other quarterback had did that that obviously hadn't won a super bowl I, I think it's what it was i
2: can't wait to see the terms of your next contract when you negotiate yourself really pumped yeah, it's up in seven years. Really pumped.
0: Seven years. Yeah. See, I need somebody. You like to, the long term deal. Well, like? I know I needed. I needed somebody need to calm me down on that. Say, right? yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need somebody to calm me down on that. So, all right, that'll do it for fell downs. Uh, Bold prediction recaps. Right after this timeout, Santos Psychics Buccaneers Sports Network. An
2: inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long. Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Box, Jay Sandos live from Wild Wing Cafe. At 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640. The Sports Monster.
1: Everyone in the stadium, across the NFL world, is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decides to retire.
0: Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There
1: is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living
0: under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded.
1: Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England.
2: The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances.
1: Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out if
0: UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever
1: heard.
2: A simple wrong would have done just fine. Well, I haven't hammered you about the Patriots losing, and I don't get to. And your genius plan does work out. I don't call you a genius often, but going Titans and bold predictions made all the sense
0: in the world so uh, that I could not New come Year's in here resolution. and say,
2: Patriots, you're an idiot. Patriots are dead. Brady's
0: done. I can't do it. New Year's resolution, right? <clears throat> That's what I was supposed to do. Let him go. I'll let him
2: go. So I'll let him go. Do I get part of this point then for telling you to let him go and it? working out so far for me
0: and you it depends sure. if you come in wearing a men's shirt i'll get credit for that i'm both this is kind of men's
2: yeah that's not bad the buttons are on the right side yeah so that helps that the helps shirt.
0: it's not a lady shirt this time. it's good how good about the you. patriots
2: i do want to bring this up and well done on the titans uh they go in derrick henry has another monster game um and the patriots just look bad offensively but i don't blame brady because you got no tight end and ben watson you know it's been fun but you're not a gronk yeah uh the beginning of the year, and I remember even talking with you about it on the show after Antonio Brown, speaking of, in the bumper, was acquired by New England. It was Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, Demarius Thomas, and Philip Dorsett.
0: Yes. Which is just... And they drafted Nikhil Harris, who wasn't going to play for about eight or nine weeks.
2: An insane amount of quality receivers. Now, I'll say this. A couple of them, maybe a little bit past their prime. Thomas, I think, proved to not have a ton left when he went to the Jets after he was cut. By the Patriots Brown obviously was only there for a game Gordon we know the same old story with him But you go from week one looking at that With all those huge names To a receiving core That had Julian Edelman drop the most important pass of the season From Brady on what I think was Was that that third down or was, was it It was either second or third second,
0: down Second and six what yeah, And the then they ran down? the screen and for whatever reason White runs out of bounds two yards early Instead of battling for the first as fourth and two with 315 Whatever 317 they and, and they punt so, which at, at the time the defense was playing pretty. I mean, still pretty good. They gave up two third down conversions that are, quite a little laughable. I mean, if Stephon Gilmore is in the game, then the fourth cornerback's not in, and they don't play off the, who what it was it? The tight end or whatever it was. Yeah, it was, was a thir- third string wide receiver. Yeah, right. Only catch of the game was like fourteen yards, and they only need. And then the third and three read option where they had. Danny Hill behind and he spins out yes. of it for, a, for So there's still some third down plays defensively, but you hold it. I didn't hate the punt points. call. No, I didn't. I didn't hate the, the punt call. The second and six. Here's what this reminds me of, and and people yell at me and even uh, Bobby Rader about this because we were very critical that New England would have beaten the Giants in the second uh, face off in the Super Bowl if Wes Welker would not have dropped a pass and dropped the biggest pass of the game and the ball he catches all the time. New England's forced to punt. Giants come down, score, win the game. And same thing. I don't, you don't know. At least Pats would have been in field goal range at that point to at least put up points. Now, they would not have been in field goal range with that, but you're talking about under three minutes, rolling clock, near midfield. Lord knows the Patriots are very good at killing the rest of the clock and doing similar what Vrabel did to them. And then I thought that was going to backfire. The Vrabel uh, minute. Forty-six or whatever, he was able to run off the clock with all oh, those punts. Man. I thought that was going to come back to haunt the Titans and it ended up being genius. And the other thing is, besides Vrabel knowing, and now Belichick's 14-14 and 14 against former assistant players, but sort of knowing the, the inner workings of what Belichick would do, I thought was genius. And then the special teams play, which people don't talk about, twice, I think Jake Bailey, the punter for New England, has been great all year, pinning people inside the 10. Twice... They went for touchbacks, yep. and then the Titans down a ball at the one. Which I think Logan Ryan, who's a former Patriot, let the best get at him because just take a knee. And I know it worked out; you won the game. But get the interception, take a knee. Don't give a team an opportunity uh, to actually help New England that that he scored. Now it didn't matter; New England didn't do anything with it. But at that point in time, I think everyone should learn to the old Adrian Peterson one, where he broke away against Dallas and was going to have like a 65-yard touchdown at the last second, downed at the one, and everybody in fantasy world lost their mind on him. But he was like, I can't
2: remember who that was.
0: I think it was Adrian Peterson against mm-hmm. the Cowboys, almost positive. Okay. And so you're sitting there going, and I uh, think it was with the Vikings, as a matter of fact. I thought it
2: was Maurice Jones-Drew, but I might be wrong.
0: Uh, well, I think he did it as well. Oh, okay. He, yeah, yeah. Peter's did it yeah, yeah. first, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's been a couple guys. There's yeah. not been many. Not been many. And there's more defensive guys that will intercept the pass and go down knowing that the game is over more than running backs. Because sometimes running backs, just talking about Richard Sherman a second ago, Maybe they need the extra touchdown for an incentive, right, or something crazy like that. So, either way, Vrabel did a great job, and the Titans kind of out the Patriots. And to show you how genius I am, I went ahead and took your advice. I let Tom go. I'm now a Titans fan, you clearly know, and uh, they're going to Super Bowl go.
2: In all reality, is Tom Brady coming back, or has he played his last game? Well,
0: you know, I texted him a few minutes ago. Okay. He's not got back to me. Hmm. So,
2: Can't wait to hear what he says.
0: But remember, he's dead to me either way, so it doesn't matter.
2: Right, because you've let him go. Uh, I did think that it was kind of funny that Belichick did the exact same clock thing earlier in the year, and it came back in the most important moment of the season to haunt him. That was pretty amazing. It was
0: actually weird, too, because New England did it on defense. They kept declining the delay a game. And as I can't remember if it was the Jets or Buffalo or somebody was trying to get a delay game to back up like the Titans were, and New England kept declining it, which still rolled the clock and asked him why he kept declining the same penalty, wouldn't let him take the five yards, and he said because the clock ran. So it is funny that it was also on defense that he was complaining at that point.
2: I'll also make sure to point out that in bold predictions, that was the only Super Bowl team you had left, New England. You had Chicago, New England. While I still have... The purple. Vikings upset the Saints. Had that in bold predictions this week, and I have the Vikings in the Super Bowl, which I'm feeling pretty good about right All right, right other
0: now. question. Are you as convinced as I am that the Saints are just going to be one of the greatest regular season teams from this point forward to never do anything in the playoffs? Well, they've got the
2: one Super Bowl from the number of years ago, so they're not San Diego Chargers under Schottenheimer back. Sure. Because that was... Completely, outrageous. yeah. But they were the
0: number one seed like five years in a row and didn't do any Sure,
2: but my gosh, the last three years for the Saints,
0: and, and they've invented ways to lose Minneapolis every year. Miracle, yep. the
2: weird pass interference, non-pass and, interference. And I'm,
0: <laughs> but I still, I still, I still want to bring this up. I know people go nuts over that. The Saints still got the ball first in overtime and Breeze threw an interception. Well, no, no, no. So okay, you're talking about last year, yeah? Yes, last year they still got the ball first and threw an interception. I think it's
2: funny. Agreed. I think it's funny this year that, once again, and this isn't really what cost them the game, but the final play of the game was a debated pass interference (laughs) call. That's just so good. They got the rule put in specifically because of what happened to the Saints, and at the end of all the talk, yep, of all the rule changes and all of the debate back and forth for 17 weeks about pass interference and why isn't it overturned and why can't they do anything when they actually go to replay the rule's still clearly not good enough for the Saints, who once again lose on a, I guess this was a push-off on Kyle Rudolph, whatever. That, there's been way worse not called all year, so they weren't going to call that. But it's just uh, funny the, that the
0: rule still <laughs> didn't help them. The crazy part is, it, and Michael Irvin doesn't teach you a lot, right? Like, if you listen to Michael Irvin, I don't think no. he teaches you a lot. But the one thing I have learned from Michael Irvin is if you use your one arm and you don't egregiously extend it, it's never called. And, again, it wasn't – and – in that situation with tight ends and safeties, both guys will always engage with two hands. Then it was a let go. And then there's a little bit of a forearm, not quite full but if you don't extend, you don't push, it's never called. And then I've I've heard and that was when Mike Warren was on ESPN, it was on the count. I mean, that's been a decade or more that he says that all the time and every time i watch the game he's exactly right they they never hardly ever do they call an offensive pass interference unless there's a full extended either one or a two-hand shove like if it is sort of a forearm box out sort of half-hearted arm out there they don't ever call it so i to me there was nothing wrong with the play it's just something else for the saints fans to, to whine and cry about you know just be a patriot fan take your loss move on don't be the saints don't be the saints they just cry. It's just is. You're you just either win the game or don't. That's all I want to hear. I'm tired of and I know a couple of Saints fans and they drive me crazy because the whining that they do that everything is against them is incredible.
2: Three years in a row, Minneapolis miracle, pass interference. It wasn't pass interference, and then whatever you want to say about this year, but clearly the last play also pass interference related. Uh, our other predictions. You actually came close on men's basketball paint points, despite Jeromey Rodriguez and Lucas Gusant getting only six combined shots. The Bucs still didn't have thirty six. You said forty or more, though. No yeah, moral and, victories here.
0: And the other thing is a lot, and some of those came very late when the press and they were. I mean, they made it a lot tighter than it than it was. They got me closer to forty than really what the game was, but I didn't think that's how they would get there. I thought they would get there as you mentioned with actual true paint touches because you are talking about Rodriguez was three of three, Guzman was a little disappointed, I think a one of three, uh, but the one time they were able to clear out and get him the ball, he went right into the rim and nobody stopped him. So I, I think the, the inside play I uh, thought would happen, which would help me to that, did, but uh, obviously uh, the final numbers didn't say so.
2: I think that was the way to get the victory, and clearly the Bucks just did not execute or look that way enough, or when they did look that way, like you said, entry pass wasn't good enough, possession wasn't good enough, didn't attack quick enough, whatever the case may have been. You said VMI over Sanford in men's basketball. Noonan, Josh Sharkey, 25 points, 10 assists, and 4 rebounds. Garrett Gilgison for VMI in the loss, 22, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists, but 78 Two seventy-five. The final. Sanford improves the two and zero in the SoCon, while VMI drops to zero and three and five and eleven overall.
0: I was disappointed because VMI had a very good first half, battling there. The second half, but couldn't make enough plays late in the game. But uh, I thought it was I thought it was a good time to sort of pick them off. Uh, that being Sanford and letting VMI pick up their first win in like a billion years in conference play, but was not.
2: Uh, Kaya Upton not getting to seven-plus assists and me parlaying that with women's basketball beating Cornell is doubly bad for me because not only do I miss on the bold prediction for this week, I also miss on women's basketball being 3-0 and oh from Christmas on, or was it before Christmas tonight? Whatever the case may be. I think it's in South con- Alabama, yeah, Converse, and game, yeah. then... Uh, the game against Cornell, they go three and zero. They get two of those against South Alabama and Converse, but they don't get the final one. They go two and one in that three-game span. So my longer-term bull prediction that we made right before the holiday break goes begging, and I now drop to let's see how many losses do I have? Fifty sounds like no, a lot, like forty-two. So with the Vikings winning, and I also had uh, men's basketball and. Uh, Furman combining for like 160 points But we'll go ahead and move past that quickly Uh, 14 and 55 14 out of 55 is what I am While you improve to 12 out of 55 I'm up by 2 still because we nailed our NFL predictions and we will have more predictions On Friday Maybe
0: I should just stick with the pros Not get a college whatever reason I think you get your heart involved That's fair I mean not And VMI burns me every time. What is my love affair with VMI? <laughs> can we go over that? What is my love of with VMI?
2: Football, you missed like seven times last year. And, and then the one time I didn't take them, they won. They How about, that? How about, that? How about uh, that? Now it's creeping in on basketball. Well, you can keep right. taking VMI as much as you want.
0: Just love, I just love Joaquin Hammond and Dan Earl. You Come love here. Gilkison as well. Garrett, Gilkison. <laughs> we will talk Wednesday, right? Preview, Pre-say?
2: preview. Yeah, preview,
0: preview, preview, UNCG, UNCG, men and women. I don't know what else we got. Some other stuff, I don't know. We'll do some. All right. Standard Sidekick. Believe it or not, we'll be back Wednesday with the second half of the show.
1: Buccaneers Road Network. See ya.